Welcome everybody to Write or Die. I am super excited because my guest today is Daniel Jose Older and um, we're going to be talking about his publishing journey which I had no idea was as difficult as it was but it was really (laughs) hard apparently. How are you doing today? I'm good. It's great to be here. Yay. Okay so I'm not sure how your querying um, journey went but if you want to like start us off with that just Tell me how you got um, into the query trenches and how it went when you were looking for an agent. Sure. So I started writing Shadow Shaper in 2009, in January, and um, I was really excited about it. <laughs> and I'm a Capricorn, so I finished it in like three months. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, yeah, I just like ran through it. I, was, I mean, shit, I was working full time. But other than that, I didn't have anything else going on. So I was like, let me just write the hell out of this book. And I did. <laughs> um and like you know, the, the, you can actually read the draft. It's on um, what's it called? What pad right now? Your first draft. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay, that's so cool. Yeah. I'll definitely put a link to that in like the show oh, description so people can cool. see it. That's amazing. All right, cool. Yeah. First of all, because I think it's just really helpful for writers to see how far a book travels over the course of its life, and particularly that book because it was my first book. Really went a long way. I mean, the t- it's a totally different book. It's called yeah. Sierra Santiago and the Invisible City, and it's like a whole other magic system. A lot of the characters are the same, but um, and it's in Brooklyn. But other than that, it's like very different situation. So, you know, it's just really interesting to see how that changed over the course of the journey. Absolutely! Um, wow, that's so cool. Yeah. So, so I started submitting it right away. Again, I was really excited. I was like, you know what? I'm going to do this. Now, keep in mind, I've been, um, I was 29. Um, I've been doing music mostly as far as my creative output for the, for the chunk of years I'd been out of college at that point, besides being a paramedic um, and doing some activism and organizing work. But creatively, mostly what I was doing was music um, and then like an occasional short story here or there. But I had no idea, like at that point, like there really wasn't, you know, there was like Friendster. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. not, like I mean, Twitter existed and whatever. It was just getting started. Facebook yeah. was there for sure. But, you know, I just, there wasn't, I didn't have any kind of platform to speak of. I had no idea how to get published. I published one short story in an anthology out of an indie press in San Diego. Like, it was literally wow. okay. that dire as far as like what my publishing yeah. history looked like. Um, but I was also like, well, maybe a book is the way to go and just see where it takes me, whatever. So that's kind of, you know, I, I, at that point, I, I, I did want to get off the ambulance. Um, mm. And I realized that music wasn't going to do that anytime yeah. soon. And I didn't think books were going to do that anytime soon, but it seemed like a better fit somehow long term. Okay. Um, and I also, I should say, I wasn't in like a huge hurry. And I think that's important. Like, I loved my job. Um, and I, I was, so I was thinking long-term, like eventually I knew I wouldn't want to do it anymore. At that point I'd been doing it for like uh, six or seven years and I knew it wasn't a lifetime career. So I think it's important not to have that, um, desperation. Like you have to be hungry, of Mm -hmm. course, right? Like the writer has to be hungry. I don't mean physically hungry. I don't mean starving for food. (laughs) All right. Well, cause I'm, I mean, I'm always hungry, but in both senses of the word. And, and, but I also don't mean like what I really mean is you, you shouldn't be hungry to the point of like you're starving and you'll take anything you can, right right mm-hmm. and that's why I I think it's really important in general for writers to have day jobs like for a period at least of their career um, because otherwise and I'll never forget Juno Diaz actually saying this to us at Vona like it's like almost like you're breaking a child labor law like you've been <laughs> writing for maybe a couple of years you know maybe seven 
at the most by the time you're trying to like really publish and make it serious and that's like making a seven-year-old like pull all the weight of bringing in your income for you basically yeah. you know and that affects your creativity it affects like your relationship to process it affects everything and that's hard so you know it could work i'm not saying it's the bad yeah. move like no no question but it, it's really helpful to have another thing to follow not just to fall back on i don't like that term but just to like be doing yeah. while you're getting your writing career so together, smart you know? it's such a smart yeah. way to look at it wow and it doesn't have yeah he's a genius and mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be in publishing too because i think that's the other thing and that's fine you know it, there's nothing wrong with getting a job in publishing but that's not the only way to support yourself yeah as you're trying to make it as a writer it's great that you learn the inside of the business but that can also be a downside sometimes you don't want to know about some of that nasty shit that goes on in publishing oh you know, yeah it, it can really jade you like, <laughs> for sure for yeah so, and yeah, it's nice but, to have like a break too right because yeah, exactly. if it's like all books all the time it can get overwhelming because right I, so I, I get that for sure and you know being a medic like I didn't have homework once mm-hmm. I once I like gotten all my training done and you know, gotten used to the job, especially you do the job and then you clock out and you go home. And if you're doing the job right, you're not taking anything home with you. And so that's a great writer. On top of that, I was working 12 hour shifts. So that means that three a week, you're done. You've got four days off. Boom. Which is also part of how my whole thing about not writing every day really became clear to me because Mm -hmm. I was not writing most days that I was working a 12 hour shift. I would just go home and pass the fuck out. You of know? course. I mean, there were there, there were some shifts I worked in. Actually, in the top of the Bronx, I used to work this at a Montefiore hospital, and we would sit in um, a park and just chill. And it was a really really slow unit. Yeah. And so that those when I was working that particular shift, I would go and actually get writing done. But in general, like I would work on my work days, and then I would write on my past days, and not all my past days, just a couple of them. Just a couple, um, yeah. So and, anyway, and you still finish a book in three months, so that's pretty impressive. Right. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> Again, I was very, very excited. I mean, you know, it's doable. Like, I, I and I still do it sometimes. Um, mm-hmm. But it, for a first book, especially, it's like, you know, take your time. It's cool. Yeah. But I, I learned a lot in that process, and in the course of submitting it, I also learned a lot. So um, Arthur A. Levine, specifically Cheryl Klein at Arthur A. Levine, she's no longer there. But they were the only publishing company I found when I started researching that actually accepted unsolicited, unagented submissions. Okay. So I, I literally snail mailed it to her kind of on that whim. <laughs> and and I only sent, like, I think they wanted the first three chapters in the synopsis, right? Okay. So I sent that and then promptly, like, tried as hard as I could to forget about it and then concentrated on getting an agent because mm-hmm. um, I couldn't send anywhere else. Everybody else required an agent. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. And then over the course of the next three years... I submitted to a total of approximately 40 agents and got rejected by all but one of them. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. So you um, so you queried for so three years, you said you were querying for, for 40 agents? I think so. Yeah, let me think. So, uh, yeah. so did you revise the book at all? Like Yes, and that's okay. the next thing that happened. Um, so there's this guy, Nathan Bransford, who's who was an agent at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but he's still, I, I always recommend his website because it's super smart. Yeah, he, yeah, I know his just, website he, well. Mm-hmm. Isn't it great? Like, it's he's the best. Really cool, smart, and like understands the industry and understands craft. I think that was is, one of the first like websites that I found as a writer that I was like, oh, right. this is helpful. Yeah. Yeah, he's, mm-hmm. and he has links to a lot of other ones. Mm-hmm. Like you could just get lost in his um, archives and learn everything you need to know about the business, basically, because mm-hmm. he has it there really well. Um, in like really understandable ways. So I, he, at the time he was at a um, major agency, which I forget which, and 
he loved the book so much, but he also was like, it's not quite ready for me to take on yet. But he gave me like really thorough notes. In fact, he was like, and this is really early. This is still 2009. He was like, um, I really love the first third, but the second two thirds are a mess. <laughs> and I was like, holy shit. And he was like, so if you want to take it back to the first third and rewrite the, you know, just like kind of mm-hmm. restructure the whole thing, like I would love to look at it. And like, this is where I always, I always look back on that moment as kind of a lesson in, in understanding the true heart of the novel that you're working on. Because, first of all, I didn't have anything else really going on. So yeah. <laughs> that was actually fine. Yeah. But also, second of all, I really appreciated all the notes that he had. I felt like he really got the book deeply. And I, so that kind of let me trust, you know, this new part of the process. But then ultimately, it's because what I understood that he understood was that he got what I was trying to do, which was basically tell a magical story about kids of color in Brooklyn, like being who they are and like, you know, fighting the good fight, but also dealing with gentrification and street harassment, all the other things that that kids of color in Brooklyn have to deal with. That's what I, that's all I really wanted to do ever. You know what I mean? Like like give us a Harry Potter that we could like love and, and see ourselves in. So, um, you know, knowing that allowed me to then easily just jump back to the first third and be like, how can I restructure this and make it even better? And then the process became like, almost writing a whole new novel, right? Like the mythology right. was um, new and a lot of the characters were new and the settings and everything. So it, it just, it was a fun process for me. And I learned so much just in doing those revisions. And we ended up going back and forth a bunch of times on revisions. And then he left the business. Oh, wow. <laughs> nice <Meanwhile>, timing. <laughs> I know, I know, which is fine. We're, we're still good friends and stuff. But meanwhile, um, every once in a while, like nine months later, maybe a year later, Cheryl Klein got back to me and was like, Oh, this is great. Can I see another, like, couple chapters? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I was like, ah! Right? Like, <laughs> freaking Holy out. crap. this is happening in the midst of getting rejected over and over. And yeah, over. Or just, yeah. like, flat out ignored, right? Yeah. Because like, that's even worse than rejection. So it was all happening at the same time, and it was exhausting, and it was exciting, and everything else. Wow, that's so cool. That's crazy. So, so she asked you to see some more chapters and then what did you do did you like send her the revised stuff that you had and then it all went from there i think at at one point i it was right around the time she was finally ready to see the full i was in the middle of a rewrite for nathan and it was a serious one okay so i had to be like yo i know i sent you this one thing with this one premise but now it's become this can i still send it to you whatever you know of course like just nervous (laughs) Um, and she was like yeah no problem take your time you know super cool so then I got her that and then she actually when she came around again was like I have some notes for you now um because I want it to be in tip-top shape when I bring it to the committee who then ultimately decides and I feel like that's a piece that a lot of writers don't know about is that it's not one editor making a decision usually to buy um it does have to go like they have a huge, you know, editorial meeting and there's right. marketing people there and publicity people there and, you know, corporate people there. And they all decide together, which is it's something to know because, yeah. you know, it's just part of the process that I, I think gets kind of swept under the rug. So she her job was to really get it in the best shape she could. Um, although I do think that's somewhat unusual. But we so we went through some edits um, They were pretty low key, but they were, again, like. I always just say, like, I learned how to write, write yeah. a shadow shaper a lot. Um, so it, that was fascinating. And then I finally resubmitted that. And then she finally brought it to her committee. And then it got accepted in October of 2012. 
Wow. So that's yes. a long process. For it's a long process, yeah. and we didn't even announce for another like year and a half after that. Oh because my contracts gosh. took so long. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that is yeah. crazy. So, yeah. so did any? So while this was all going on, and then you were still querying, or how did you end yeah. up with your agent? Okay. No, I was totally still querying, um, and I was totally getting rejected. At one point, even there, like I was. She's like, Cheryl was like, I'm basically about to buy this book. And I was, and she was like, and you can tell agents that. And I was telling them, like, y'all, I just need y'all to broker the deal. Like, this book is sold. Yeah. And I was still getting replies back being like, I just don't know where we would sell this. Oh, and my God. marketable. And I was like, the literal, actual, factual, <laughs> motherfucking biggest children's publisher in the galaxy is prepared to buy this book. I did your job for you. I literally just need you to get paid to broker the deal. Luceli Luna is used to ghosts. You kind of have to be when you live in a house haunted by the spirits of your dead loved ones. When Luceli tries to help her father's failing ghost tour business, she opens the gates to, you know, the place down there, and now she has to protect her family before evil spirits take over her town and drag everyone she loves into the underworld. Follow Clarabelle on Twitter at Clarabelle underscore Ortega for a title reveal coming soon. And add hashtag Ghostbook to Goodreads today. That's it. And they were still saying no. So like, well, I don't know, you know. Do you think it was like do you yes. think it was because your yes. character were brown? Yeah. Yes. I was about to say because like it was, because that's what code is. That's what the code is when they yeah. like it's beautifully writing, but it's beautifully written, but we don't know how to market it. Motherfucker, you don't know how to deal with black people and brown people. That's what you really said. So say that. You know what I'm saying? I know yeah. you can't say that, but yeah. um, this was before we needed first books. You know, this yeah. was like before this movement really um, popped off. And so everyone was just still on that, like, oh, we can only have one Chinese book a year bullshit, yeah. which is to some extent still happening. I think it's just more coded. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, you know, just blatantly like blah, blah, blah. Or like I didn't identify with the character. And I'm like, I didn't write the character for you to identify with. You know? Yeah, yeah. But that's the issue of having, uh, you know, 85% white or whatever publishing industry is mm-hmm. you're writing through people to get to other people, but that's the gatekeeper question, really. So all that was happening, um, I was getting rejected. I was telling them I already had the book sold. <laughs> I did. Um, I had an agent for a period of time that didn't work out, and then I ended up leaving. Okay. Um, and then I ended up with Eddie Schneider, who's my agent now. Uh, and he literally offered me representation the same week that Scholastic finally made their offer. So it actually worked out beautifully. Wow. But it was a journey. It was a journey. Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow. So so you you started writing it in 2003, you said? Nine. 2009. Okay, 2009. Yeah. And everything happened in 2012. And, like, you were learning to write as this was going. That's such... That's such a struggle, too, because it was, like, you're learning to navigate not only, like, querying exactly. and, like, right. acquisitions, but also just, like, the craft. That's so mm-hmm. much at once. It's so It was so much at once. Wow. I will say that in the meantime, um, like, okay, so one person I actually sent it to early on was Marcela Landres. Okay. Who does, you know her? Um, I don't, I don't think so, no. Oh, okay. She's cool. She does work really specifically in the Latino community around publishing. Okay. And she was um, with a big publisher for a while, and then she just does consulting now. Okay. Um, so, yeah, she was really helpful, and she was like, you know, this is really great, and, like, keep learning to write. 
like take a short story class. And at first I was like, man, short story, man, fuck short stories, you know, which a lot of writers feel, and I understand. Um, yeah. I kind of feel that way still, or again, actually. But um, short stories are a really, really important way both to learn how to write, mm. to learn your craft, and then to also give yourself a voice and a platform in publishing before your book comes out. Because, like, you know, no one really knew who I was, right? Um, yeah. And I had a lot of short stories come out before Shadow Shaper, including Salsa Nocturna, which eventually became Salsa Nocturna, which was my first book. Yeah. So that came out in 2012, and it was a collection of my short stories. And that all happened because I went and took this class at the Frederick Douglass Creative uh, Writing Center, Creative Arts Center, which is no longer in existence. And Cherie Renee Thomas, who I was literally just tweeting about today, um, was the teacher. And she really became my mentor um, and took me under her wing, which was really dope. So it just helped me, like, you know, to have someone who knew publishing so well and understand things and really, like, you know, believed in my work. That was just really, that was really a, a key part of my process, for sure. What would you do? You have any like advice to give to authors like me, for example, who, you know, we read these books by white authors that are just like, eh, and then you see how much is expected of you, and it's almost like our books are expected to be like flawless before they get anywhere. How do you, how 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 would you advise someone who's like new to like sort of juggle with that knowledge and like keep going despite the fact that everything is like all the stakes are heightened for us everything is like a little bit harder for us all the hurdles are you know we have more hurdles to jump over in order to get yeah 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 i mean it's it's a question of holding that truth in your mind without letting it sort of overcome you and become the story um i think if you go into it with the goal of being the best writer you can be and then defining your own sense of success and really understanding what that means um then the other stuff the the how just becomes a part of that journey to get there, you know? Okay. Um, which doesn't mean it doesn't matter. Like, I, I'm, this is no way to downplay that struggle or that truth. Um, but I think the way I feel about it is that, like, yes, like, if I had been a, a white writer, my journey would have been very different if I'd been writing white characters. I'll never forget Matt Johnson tweeted me. Um, you know who Matt Johnson is? He's great. He's a great writer. And I yeah. studied with him at Vona. So he read Salsa Nocturna, and he tweeted me once, like, this he finally read it, I guess, and he was like, this book is amazing. If, if you were a white writer, you'd be famous right now. <laughs> and I was like, wow. <laughs> so Way to like, be yeah. honest. <laughs> I know. He's, I love him. He's so fucking funny. Um, um, I was dying when he tweeted me that. It's a, it's a, it's a different journey for us. And, yeah. like, it's fucked up and it's wrong and it's, you know, made me the writer I am. You know what I mean? And it's, yeah. it's also made me the person I am. So, like... If that journey made me the person that I needed to be to guide other writers of color forward and to be honest with them about that journey, and that's, you know, going to make the, the publishing world and the bookshelf and so the world at large better, so be it. You know, like, I accept that journey. And if it made me a better writer, I accept it, too. Um, and again, I don't think that makes it okay. Like, I still fight against it every day because... To me, like, victory means, like, the writers that come after me don't have to have those same struggles. Right. And that's already become true to some extent and none of this means we're done fighting right but like right. um it's not the same landscape as it was when i was coming up like the the, the world that i that i became a writer in isn't this world and yeah. that means that like some of the work that i and we have done has paid off you know like writers weren't getting writers of color were getting million dollar book deals to write books with characters of color right 
now, and that, now they are. That matters, right? <laughs> yeah. They are now. And that's, that's amazing. Like, mm-hmm. That is one form of victory. And there are many forms of victory. Um, another form of victory is that it's not a one and only situation. Right now, like the New York Times bestseller list is full of black writers. That's amazing. Yeah. Like, that's really so is. fucking dope. And they're writing black characters and they're unashamedly, you know, unabashedly, unapologetically black. That's amazing. That's victory. Um, and again, we keep fighting, you know? So I just feel like it's fucked up and, and, I, and I accept that. It's always been fucked up. And I know that my role, particularly me, I know this about myself, my role is to make it less fucked up for the people after me. That doesn't mean every writer needs to feel that responsibility. I just know that's my role. So... I take it seriously and I honor the journey, just like in emotional struggles. You know, mm-hmm. you, you get to a place where you look back and you're like, oh, that period of my life really fucked me up, but I really needed it to become the man yep. that I became based yep. on it. So, you know, I'm, I'm not grateful to the oppression, but I'm grateful to my own inner strength and the people that guided me, you know, to make me the writer I had to be and the like activist I had to be to get through it, which make me the man and the writer that I am today. That's perfect. Thank you so much for for your yeah. words. It's like it's helpful, you know. It's like for someone like me who's starting out, and I know for other writers like me who are like newer to to see that it's right. sort of like feels like it's worth it, even when you're going through the shitty moments. Yeah, it is. You, yeah. yeah, absolutely, it is. And like I constantly have the feeling that like we're living in the dream of like also on the one hand like the generation before us, but also like our younger selves. You know, mm-hmm. like wondered one day. I mean, just even larger beyond the publishing industry, when I was doing more, like, activism on the street, we, in our wildest dreams, could barely conceive of a time when students would, like, walk out nationally. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or when there would be, like, a true multiracial movement in the streets of cities across the world to end, like, racist police violence. Like, that that truth coming, coming to fruition is so amazing thinking about having been an activist, you know, 10 years ago and, and just barely getting, you know, folks on the street and what that meant, or like having to go through like a huge bureaucracy of nonprofit bullshit to get anything done. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, for sure. For it to be such a true and very like just real and spontaneous like movement led by young people, you know, that's, it's, it's very like deeply intersectional on so many levels without any kind of, you know, outside push is amazing. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I take a lot of heart in that. Like, I feel like there's so much amazing movement happening right now in the midst of such a difficult time. Yeah, for sure. I was actually just talking to um, to my friend Kat about that today. We were we were speculating if uh, one of our friends was going to hit the list next week. And I yeah. was like, isn't it like really cool that it's like possible all the time exactly. now? Yes. <laughs> like we're not a thing. Like we're like, we're watching. No all of these like writers of color like just have the opportunity and writers of color native writers having the opportunity to sort of yeah. be- become successful and like it's becoming more normal for us and that's like really cool because when I talk to you or when I talk to like Zoraida when I know like when she started writing it was like similar where it wasn't as easy and they were like well you know we already have our exactly. our our brown book for the, for this right. year so we don't need yours right. I think that now that we're sort of here, which I always have to stress, doesn't mean we rest or, Mm -hmm. I mean, we have to rest, but doesn't mean it's over at all. Um, But now that we've had some wins that are sustained, um, not just like here and there dropping the bucket wins, but real true, like victories. And I think we've successfully made a lot of change in the culture of publishing. Um, 
you know, we do have to deal with like this question of accountability. Um, and I have yet to really see that happen in a meaningful way. And I really do feel like that's where things have to move on, on some level for us to actually move forward in a, in a holistic and a healthy way. Um, and by that, I mean, like, you know, for the whole history of publishing, it's been a very deeply racist and white supremacist and patriarchal enterprise, um, mm-hmm. you know, and heteronormative and cisnormative. And it's like, you know, we, we it's great that we moved to a better place in a lot of ways. And I, I, I don't mean this with any kind of, you know, pettiness or mean-spiritedness, but like, we need to have accountability, which means that we need mm-hmm. to actually have a real conversation about why it was like that and why it changed. Mm-hmm. I can tell you why it changed because I was a part of it, and mostly it changed because writer, female, women of color writers, especially, mm-hmm. you know, took a stand and and did the work to sustain that movement, um, and that matters, you know, absolutely. Um, and it wouldn't have changed if it hadn't been for that, and so we would still be here, you know what I mean? And like mm-hmm. it was only uh, a year or so ago we were dealing with uh, smiling enslaved people in picture books you know what I mean yeah. so this is all still like ongoing it's still fucked up and um, and and a lot of amazing things are happening and we've seen the fruits of our labor yeah. um, but I want publishing to step up and say like yo we, we've been really fucked up like we have failed at our jobs as, mm-hmm. as um, cultivators of, of young people's imagination and old people for that matter um, and we haven't done our jobs right. We have been like poor custodians of the imagination, and it, it, and we were entrenched in our white supremacy. Mm-hmm. Um, and we want to do better, but doing better starts by owning up what's happened. You know, as as fucked up as like that National Geographic thing was that went down last week. Or, yeah. You know, like whatever. They did stand up and say we have mm-hmm. been fucked up for like our entire existence. Like, yeah, I want publishing to do that. Absolutely, um, I think it's important for sure too because yeah, you can't just sweep it under the rug and pretend right. like you never did the things that you did. I think that's important for sure. Exactly. And there's and there's still people who, I mean, I think just today there was a a writer tweeting like a big name writer tweeting about how it only matters if your book is good. It doesn't matter like what race you are, what gender you are, whatever. And people were like, uh, I don't think so. <laughs> um, um, <sighs> yeah. yeah, exactly. <sighs> um, yeah. So can you, okay, so I'll give you a choice. Can you either share your most embarrassing moment in publishing, which is really funny oh. because I, I tweeted about this the other day, and my most embarrassing moment was actually when I met you because I was crying what? like a baby. Why yeah. is that embarrassing? Because it was because I was I was crying, and when you I cried, think that I was judging you over that. No, but like I was judging myself. It's <laughs> <laughs> like when people people always come to events and then they apologize. They're like, "I'm so sorry, I've been at all your events," and you're like. <laughs> Motherfucker, I post them on social media so that people come. Do you think I, I want to sit here all by myself? Like, it's nice that you like my work enough to show up at my events. What are you talking about? I didn't apologize for coming. I just, I just cried, and I'm like, when I cry, my my eyebrows and my nose gets red. I look so funny. <laughs> I, I promise you, I have not a judgmental cell in my body. But I, I was very moved. Like, I still, I thought about that the other day, and I, I feel very moved. Oh like, yeah. Very genuine. Like, yeah. Well, I was online like telling myself like don't cry, don't cry. The, the thing is that like your book was like <laughs> and, and I was like on Twitter, I was like, I'm about to meet DJ Older and I'm trying not to cry, and everybody was like, You'll be fine. And I was like, I don't think I'm gonna be fine. <laughs> I'm like, pretty sure. <laughs> I can be really dramatic, guys. Um, but like Shadow Shaper was the book that made me feel like I can write brown characters. 
and like yeah. that's the first time that like I read a book and I was like, wait a minute, I don't have to write about a character who's white, even though that that's how what I grew up reading, you know. Mm-hmm. And it took me on this whole journey of like, wait a minute, I'm also still cute, even though my hair is not blonde and my eyes are not blue because I identified with like Sierra so much in in that way so it was really important to me and like so yeah so whatever I cried big deal whatever (laughs) what what writer is like you know mortified that someone cried that's a huge deal like that's because I know I know what it really means you know what I mean yeah not superficially or anything else I know that it was exactly what you just said and Mm -hmm. like that's the whole reason I write. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, that's literally why I write. And that's so, true. I just can't imagine I'm if pleased. that ever happened to me. I will. I'm gonna start crying too because I'm a crier. Of course you are. Yeah, so yeah, I'm just gonna be. It's just gonna be a whole crying party. Um. Okay. So <laughs> you get to choose either okay. your most embarrassing moment in publishing or any mistake or like one thing like you'd wish you'd known before you started that you could like tell younger Daniel. Uh, I don't think I have any good embarrassing stories, which I don't, I, I don't want to say, like, I don't want to. You're too <laughs> cool. We get it. it. <laughs> no, that's what I'm trying to say. I'm not. It's not that I always have it together. Wait, I think I did. What did I do? Ooh, I think I dissed someone on a panel that they were like, they were like the um, guest of honor at. Oh my gosh. Uh, yeah, but I can't remember now what it was. I think uh, it was like, so, yeah. <laughs> I was like, on. It was one of those sci-fi cons, uh, mm-hmm. and like I, I, I was on a panel, and someone was like, "Well, what do you think about like this book that has you know the white writer wrote about some like Asian characters?" Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Well, I don't know. It sounds like it, it might be fucked up. Something, you know." I was like, "I haven't read the book, but it sounds kind of fucked up based on the premise." Because it wasn't just that; like they went in depth a little bit. And yeah. I was like, you know, we always see white writers writing Asian characters like mm-hmm. that, and then All someone the was like, "That's the guest of honor at the conference right now." And I was like, "Why the fuck did y'all set me up like that?" Like, who they did. They did you dirty. Oh yeah, my did God. you dirty? Y'all knew what I was gonna say. Like, did you think I was gonna be like, yeah? <laughs> write that book you know first of all and then second of all not this is off topic but like why in every panel is there a white writer that wants permission from writers of color to every write time. their like every mexican time. fantasy like i've had one woman follow me from panel to panel to ask me repeatedly and what? i'm like what in what world like what are you gonna write that like daniel jose older gave it the like daniel jose older right stamp of approval it's just clarity? gonna put that on you the know, cover like, daniel said it was yeah. okay that's right why. <laughs> like, and he's cuban which is like near mexico i don't know dude uh, you know anyway the point is um i'm sure i have i do do embarrassing shit and i want you to know like i am a huge nerd like i didn't make that up about myself um <laughs> But I'm not coming up with any good embarrassing stories now. Uh, so what I would tell young me, you know, like starting out me, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> I, you know, I think uh, I feel like every writer, I, I'm guessing, kind of has like the two sides, almost like the angel and the devil mm-hmm. that are like, man, you're so fucked. And then the other side that's like, you got this. You really <laughs> it's important. It's a long it's a long haul, but you got to hang in there, man. And I think I would just sort of try to boost up the, like, the good side a little bit more. Because okay. there were, uh, you know, there were hard days. There mm. were, I just, I think from here, it's easy. Like, if you see my career from the outside, it's easy to just be like, wow, that's a dream career. You know, he just made it and all that shit. And, like, um, there were just long periods. There were years where it was very likely that I wouldn't make it. 
at all, whatever that means, you know, or that I would just put out one book from a small press and that would kind of be it, you know. Yeah. Um, And that might have been okay. Um, That wasn't the career I wanted, so I would have been frustrated. But, um, you know, that's not what happened. And I think a part of me knew that wasn't what would happen, but another part of me very rightfully wasn't sure. Um, And there's, you know, we all have just different parts. So I I think I just sort of like tried to ease some of those long nights in which I, you know, (laughs) like that that sort of dreading, (laughs) empty sense of doom of like, where is all this going? (laughs) Um, Oh gosh, I know that well, too well. Yeah, we all do. And um, usually it's going somewhere good. It just, it's hard to feel that way Mm -hmm. because it's, and especially at that time, there just weren't books like Shadow Shaper readily yeah. available. Shadow Shaper is not the first book like that, but there weren't any like on the shelves. You know what I mean? Like right. you had to go find them. Yeah. Um, they were hard to track down. And that's not true anymore, which is like part of the work that we do, um, which is so dope. Um, but definitely it was like, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> that idea of, like, writing to the trend doesn't yeah. the truth of, like, being a POC in any kind of way because mm-hmm. the trend is never us. Yeah. Um, now, you know, things are changing again, so that's cool. But, um, but you know, I'm, I'm also glad I had those nights. So, like, yeah. because I, I think, like, they're, uh, again, like everything else, like, they're part of your trajectory and it made me the writer I am. Like, I don't think, I don't think that the doubt-free path is, is very healthy either. Mm-hmm. Um so it's really hard to say. I don't really believe in regrets either. So, you know, there's that. I think that's, I think that's good advice. Cause I think we, it's a lot easier to like, listen to the, the devil um, side, the, or, you know, not believe in ourselves or to believe the bad reviews or the bad news and not think mm-hmm. about the good, the good. So mm-hmm. I think, I think mm-hmm. that's, that's really helpful actually. Um, so what's up next for you? What um, what books do you have cooking? What's coming out? Where can people follow uh, you? All that good sure. stuff. So on Twitter, I'm most active, and that's at DJ Older. Um, I, do ha- I am on Tumblr and Facebook and Instagram. Um, I just don't update them as much. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as what's upcoming, it's very exciting. This is a really exciting year for me, I have to say. Um, yes. I have two books coming out this year. Next month, in fact, on April 17th, um, Star Wars Last Shot comes out, which Whoa. is a Han Solo, Lando Calrissian. So cool, so cool. Novel. I'm so excited about it. It was yeah. so much fun to write. I wrote that one in three months, too, actually. <laughs> because, because I had to. Like, yeah, the, now you had no <laughs> choice. Yeah. yeah, yeah, which is fine. I wasn't mad at it. I mean, I grew up loving Star Wars my whole life, so to, that opportunity was just second to none. Like, there's, I don't know if there's any other IP I would write for at all, let alone so quickly. Yeah, um, that's so There might cool. be, but I can't think of one offhand. So I was super excited. I was just like, yes, you know, whatever. Um, and it was really fun to write, and I really love that book. I love how it came out. Um, it, 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 besides being like a fun space romp with lots of shooting and spaceships and, and stuff like that, mm-hmm. it's also like about this, like, you know, 30-year friendship, which has gone through so many different problems and um reconnections and everything else because Han and Lando are fascinating characters absolutely yeah they were so much fun to write like I just had such a good time not to mention just playing in this gigantic sandbox of Uh, monsters and things that's so cool I can't wait thank you I'm I'm really happy about it yeah I've seen you like nerding out about it on Twitter I'm like he must be really excited about this book (laughs) I mean you can actually and people have done this because Star Wars fandom is a whole lot people have gone back and found 
tweets of mine about Star Wars, like from Aww. years, literally years ago, oh, which wow. is hilarious because it's like you're running for president. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. motherfuckers are digging up my old tweets about like whatever, and be like, what? what? This guy said this. What do you guys think about that? And they publish articles about it. What? And I'm like, yeah. Oh. That was a long time ago. I don't know. Oh my gosh, that is so funny. What the hell? I know. It's fine. Like, Star Wars fandom, there is like a whole fascinating conversation to have around Star Wars. Like, it's a huge world, and, you know, it's cool that people are talking about it. So, I I think it's fun. But, um, yeah, so after that, um, then really begins like the project that I feel like I've been kind of gearing up to write without even realizing it for a very long time. And it's, excuse me, it's called Dactyl Hill Squad. Yeah. It comes out from Scholastic. It's my first middle grade. Yeah. And it's, it's, um, it's, yeah, it's the Civil War era, but there are dinosaurs running around. And oh um, it's the story of Magdalisa Roca, who is um, a 12-year-old Cuban girl who has an amazing power to communicate with dinosaurs psychically. So um, cool. And yeah, and she's a um, she's a ward at the Colored Orphans Asylum during the Civil War draft riots um, when it was burnt down. So a lot of it is about her and her friends escaping to Brooklyn to a neighborhood in Brooklyn called Dactyl Hill, which is based on Crow Hill, um, and finding their people there and and then joining up with different groups of of resistance workers during that period. Um, and, and kind of like fighting the good fight. So it's a lot of fun. It's very political. It's very adventurous and. It's a huge world to me. I mean, speaking of huge universes like Star Wars, yeah. as soon as I started this project, the world just unfolded in this gigantic way. This like this like dinosaur topia, like dinotopia civil war world. Uh, it just became. It was instantly super clear to me, um, and it, there's just so much room for expansion within that world. Um, so I just finished writing the sequel, which I'm really excited about, where they end up down south in the actual battles of the civil war. Oh my gosh. And uh, yeah, and, and it's a lot. Um, so when does book one come out? It's on September 11th, as a matter of fact. Okay, so, so this fall. That yep. that's exciting. And it's where how exciting. how did you get the idea for that? Because that's like Civil War really dinosaurs. <laughs> like <laughs> it's kind weird. of random. So yeah, how? Really random. I mean, I was right into the trend, obviously. <laughs> 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 um, you know, I what happened? Actually, the first. First, first thing I ever wrote that was kind of sort of in that world um, was because I was taking a class at Vona with Matt Johnson, and it was the graphic novel class. And okay. I just started writing a weird story about old New York, um, and it was kind of steampunky, and it actually takes place like a generation or two after Dactyl Hill, but there was also kind of dinosaurs running around that world for no other reason than that I thought it would be fun and cool. Um and then I, on the other side, I'd been studying old New York a lot for different projects that I was doing as a musician. Um, okay. I did like a rock opera about Crow Hill um, as part of a grant for the Brooklyn Historical Society. So I had all this stored up information inside of me about that era and race relations and the Civil War and et cetera, et cetera. And one thing that like, if you're a writer or any kind of creative and you just end up like feeding lots of information into your brain and have no outlet for it, like it'll come out. So that's what happened. Like, I, I think I started thinking through a middle grade and what a fantasy middle grade would be like and immediately like you know, old New York came to mind and then and then the dinosaurs started rearing their long necks over the East River and helping build the Brooklyn Bridge and it all just became very, very clear. Like in an instant almost. I was like, Oh yeah, it's a warrior, but with dinosaurs, totally <laughs> And then I just imagined like, you know, these kids flying around on pterodactyls. One of the more common jobs for um 
for poor children in that era was being a chimney sweep um, because they yeah, were small and they could they fit in small. chimneys so mm-hmm. they would go rooftop to rooftop and so that just became a really obvious kind of like well yeah they would ride pterodactyls around duh um, <laughs> it's easier so to get really, to the chimneys that way everybody exactly. knows <laughs> well, from, from rooftop to rooftop yeah, yeah. so things just started happening and then like I said I had a lot of information already stored up so I just went back to some of those old sources and dug deeper into them and I was reading a book called In the Shadow of Slavery um, by Leslie Harris, which is amazing, about New York in that period and how slavery persisted even mm-hmm. after it was outlawed. Wow. Um, and and the Colored Orphans Asylum, and there was a note in there, just like an offhand reference to a group of kids that had been dropped off from Cuba and just left there mysteriously and then sort of vanished again a couple years later. And um, I thought it was so fascinating. And then I also had that moment of like, oh, Cuba, you know, that's my people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, where, where, and you, whenever you read history, I think you ask yourself, where would I have been in that situation? Mm-hmm. Where would I have fit in? Um, and so it was really, it really sort of stuck with me, I guess. And then I was like, well, I wonder what happened to those kids. I wonder what their story was. And I wonder what they would have done if they could have flown, flown around on pterodactyls, you know? Like, yeah. <laughs> so that's where the story came from. I'm so excited. I love middle grade. So I'm so me super too. excited to to read it. I think it's going to be so great. It's really fun to write, I feel like. It's so much fun to write. And I think yeah. it's because, like, I still have the sense of humor of a 12-year-old. So I think that's right. why I'm like, it's, like, yeah. really appealing to me um yeah exactly no, there's there's dino poop jokes all very excited and everything else and like, it's, you know to me it's hilarious but at the same time like there's really heavy shit going on literally, literally. thank you so much for listening to today's episode of write or die and a big thank you to daniel jose older for being my first guest make sure you follow me on twitter at clarabelle underscore ortega and please make sure to subscribe and leave reviews because they really help see you next episode bye